0: Uh, on with this series on Out of Egypt. So you guys recall the last couple of weeks we've been talking about how, uh, that there are some parallels from the Exodus out of Egypt and actually what is happening for us in Christianity. And we looked at so the God's people were, the Hebrew people were held in bondage to, to, uh, to Egypt. They were under an oppressive ruler who was Pharaoh and the people of this world are actually in a similar, uh, situation because they're held in bondage to sin and death and they're, they're under the thumb of Satan and we saw that god sent a man god sent moses to rescue his people out of that oppression out of that underneath the thumb of that ruler and the same thing happened for us because god sent jesus to rescue us from the oppression of sin and death and 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 removed us from the bondage of of uh, of satan And we also see that, and similarly, God made a covenant with them. Before that time, the Hebrew people did not have a covenant with God. It was the Abrahamic covenant. But at this point, now they said Israel were his people. And he made a covenant with them as they came out out of Egypt. And the same thing happens with us. God made a covenant with us, and we are now his people as well. We have been grafted and adopted in as sons. And we saw that there were all the signs and wonders that proved that Moses was sent by God. And we know that Jesus did all kinds of miracles. Actually, the book of John says that there were so many miracles. If he wrote them all down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world that could contain them. And also, we know that Jesus rose from the grave that, that indefinitely proved or, that he was the Son of God and who he was, who he said he was. And you see, there's more similar. I mean, it doesn't stop there. And I didn't even hit them all, but the, the, we saw that salvation for the Hebrew people was by the hand of God. There would not have been rescued except for God. It was all His doing and the same for us. We can't save ourselves. We need God to save us. And we also see that they, the faith was required for them. They were in a rock and a hard spot. They were going through some tough stuff and they had to trust God and put their faith in Him or they were not getting out. And the same is true for us. Salvation for us is by faith and faith alone. It's not by how good we live, the different things that we do, but it's by faith in Jesus is Christ alone. And most importantly, we saw that that both of these things being set free was proof that, that God loved them. It was undeniable proof. You know, when people come up and ask you, you know, why is there so many bad things going on in this world? If God was a loving God, how can all these things happen? You say, well, God is a loving God because he sent his son to free us from all of that. He sent his son. I tell you what, if I was God, we'd all be in a bad kind of way because I don't think I could give up my son. But God gave his son for us so that we could be free, made provision for every person on this earth. So today we're going to go ahead and continue on, but we're not going to look at so much the type and shadows of uh, the exodus out of Egypt and, and Christianity today. But we're going to look at the people and the things that they went through that are very similar to the way things that we've gone through. You know, the technology's changed. We have cars and buildings and air conditioning, but people really haven't. We're all going through the same exact stuff. And we're going to face many of the same things that they did, and we're going to take a look at that today. And one of the first things we're going to look at is that people back then were easily distracted. I mean, they, they just had the most miraculous thing happen. The, the sea was parted. They they crossed over the, the Red Sea on dry land. And in my head, I always imagine it, you know, like a little river or something. I don't know, a crook, yeah, this kind of stepped over but it wasn't i mean we've seen the these these uh computer graphic simulations in these new movies of how big the red sea is and what actually happened when they went across them it was an amazing thing and you would think if you saw something like that that there's nothing that could make you take your eyes off of god but immediately they begin to complain they begin to long for what they had back they begin to long for slavery and it's not much different for us today the truth is and then we're going to see that they had to deal with conflicting reports because one of the things that we have to do with our faith as Christians is we read the word of God, we see his promises, but the rest of the world is telling us something else. The rest of the world is telling us something different and we have to choose. Are we going to believe God? Are we going to believe the world for what's going on? And one of the, the, the biggest things I think we can take for them is, is we're going to see that they had to grow. You know, they they had amazing things happening, but they weren't expected to stay where they were. Their faith had to grow. They had to continue to grow as a people and put their trust more and more in God. And the same thing is expected of us today. And then we're going to see that God provided for them. We're going to look at the story of how their clothes and their shoes grew with them and, and food came out of heaven from God provided for them. And God still provides for us today as well. And finally, we're going to see that just like with them, God gave direction. He told them how to walk, told them where to go. He gave them complete direction in life, and God does the same thing for us today. Let's go ahead and get started. In Exodus 14, 11, it says, They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? This is the first time they start complaining. They just had all of these plagues hit Egypt. They were freed from Egypt. God not only did he free them, but he basically loaded up all kinds of gold and provision. They had everything they needed. They get to the to the Red Sea. All of a sudden Egypt changed their mind. The Romans or the Egyptian soldiers are coming behind them, and now they start complaining. Oh, what did you bring us here for? They already had already it had only been like a day and a half and they had already forgot what God had done for them. And they began to complain. And that's not the first time, because in Exodus 16, 2-3, it says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So now, God had just parted the Red Sea. And everything was, I mean, they walked through on dry land. Can you imagine that? To see that kind of miracle. And then they get to the other side and they start complaining. We don't have any food to eat. God just moved water. Let them walk through a sea and they're worried about if God can feed them. They begin to complain. They begin to grumble. And basically God says, knock it off. I'll make sure you got food. And he sends man. Every day they wake up and they find this man on the ground. And they're fed completely. And you're like, man, okay, that ought to take care of them. I mean, they, they, they were freed. They were in bondage. They were freed. Then they were going to get killed, but God, God saved them from certain death. And then they were, they were going to starve, but God fed them. So you would think by now they would get it through their thick skulls that, hey, it's going to be okay. God's going to take care of them. But that's not what happens. We go a little bit farther. Numbers 11, 4 through 6 says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. This nothing at all but nothing at all but God's miraculous provision, bread that comes out of heaven. They don't even know what manna means. What is it? They did not even know what it was, but it took care of them in every way. That being said, I kind of wish that there was something like manna for me where I could eat the same thing, the right portions every day It would take care of everything. Maybe I could lose some of this weight. Instead, I get tempted by garlics and leeks and oh, except for, you know, cookies and cakes. And well, but it was God's provision. Can you imagine? And then they start complaining again. And God says, you know what, fine. And he sends them quail. So now they have meat. They have everything that they had. But the interesting thing is that they... It seems like every time God did something for them, they forgot immediately and began wanting something more. And the one thing I think is important as we look at the story, it's one of the, the main reasons that I think that we shouldn't sell Christianity to people as, as, a, as, a, as a you know it's going to fix all of your problems. If you get saved, you'll never have another problem in the world. Because the truth is you're still going to have problems. The truth is you're still going to have hardships. The only difference is you're going to be better equipped to handle it. God will see you through the other side every time. And the reality is is you're probably going to have problems you never would have had if you weren't a Christian. Especially if you're serving God with your whole heart. The enemy doesn't want you doing that. He's going to come against you. But they continue to grumble. They continue to not trust God. And we look at that and we're like, these guys are crazy. These people, I mean, how could they do that? But we always do that because we don't want to take a look at our own life and realize that we all do the exact same thing. This is what Jesus said in Luke nine fifty seven through 62. It says, as they were going along the road, and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom. Did <clears throat> I miss it? Yeah, have God, sorry. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those of my home. And Jesus said to him, no, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, this is a challenging verse because we just looked at them doing the same thing. They were moving forward with God, but they kept looking back. They kept longing for what they had. And I think there's a couple things. That, uh, that happens in this, because this is the same stuff that we're, we're dealing with us today. God will do something amazing in our life, and we begin to think, oh, this is getting a little too tough. Or some opposition will come, and we begin to look back and long for how easy it was. And I think what happens is, is we, we have a tendency to forget the bad stuff. We only remember what, the, what we think is the good things, and I, I believe that God made us that way for a reason. Because if we remembered the bad things as well as remember the good, we'd have a miserable life indeed if that's all we could focus on was all the bad things. But Jesus is saying, hey, no, there's something more to this. When you go forward, you've got to stop looking back. You know, in this first one that he talks about here, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, damn foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Basically what he was saying is, is that if you follow me, you might have to give some stuff up. You might have to give up the comforts that you were used to. And I know that 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 happened for me in my life because we had to pack up and we moved out here to plant a church. And we left. It was really tough when we first got here because everything that we knew was in the church back in Tucson, all of our friends. We got up here and we knew nobody. But sometimes you, you put stuff behind you because you're called to do something for God. And it's not always easy. And then the next one, he says, he says to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Sometimes we have to realize that, that, that we're going to have to put God first in everything, even even sometimes above our family. And that's a hard thing to deal with. But I want to tell you that if you'll put God first, He'll make sure your family is taken care of. And then He says, Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. See, the picture here that's being made is when they used to plow, they would have their plow hooked up to, to a donkey or, or an oxen or whatever they were using or pulling behind it. And you had to focus. You had to look straight ahead if you wanted to have your furrows to be perfectly in line. If you wanted them in line, you had to look ahead because if you turn, the next thing you know, you're going to be making crooked lines. You begin to veer off. And God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and he wants us to look forward to what that is and not look back, not go half-heartedly. One of my favorite stories is when, is when uh, Elijah goes and hands his, his mantle to Elisha, and he goes and, and he, he puts it on him, and, and he says, well, hang on, let me go take care of some stuff. And he's like, what's that got to do with me? I got the feeling that Elijah was kind of not, not amused with this whole idea of having to give his mantle away. But then what does Elijah do? He realizes it's the call of God and he, he chops up his, his, his plow and all of his, his tools and he kills his oxen and he offers a burnt offering to the Lord. Basically, he burnt all his bridges. There was no going back. He was giving his whole life to God. And that's what, that's what God wants for us is to give our whole life to him. The next thing I want to talk about, and I think this is an important one, particularly in today's world, is, is choosing who we are going to believe. Are we going to believe what God says? Are we going to believe what the world says? And in Numbers 13, 26-27, it says, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of people, to Israel in the wilderness of Paran, of Akadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So this is the spies going out to spy the land. They were, uh, they were heading out. God had said, I'm sending you to the promised land. as a land flowing with milk and with honey. And he had promised this land to him, So he sent the spies out to kind of check out what was going on. And they they came back. So they came back, and they brought word to them, and they showed them everything. And they said, you know what? Just like God said, it is flowing with milk and honey. And they waited for 40 days. The the spies were out for 40 days. They were waiting for 40 days in anticipation of what they were going to hear. And God had promised them a land flowing of milk and honey. And they came back. And sure enough, it was just as God says. When God promises you something... What he says is going to come. What he says is true. It's going to come to pass. Maybe not always how we imagine it would. Maybe not always how we want it to. But it always comes as he wants to. And it starts out well enough. The spies go out. They all come back and I say, "You're right. This land is flowing with milk and honey." And and milk is a reference to to the fruit of man. It's talking you know of, uh, cattle and all that stuff where they're going to be to be raising stuff. And there's large resources. there's livestock. And then it says with, with, with honey, that's referring to the fruit of the land. So there's great, there's great uh, uh, you know, the, the wild grapes that grew. I mean, this was a land that they could live off of. They would have everything they needed. It would be provision for them. And then something that I find interesting when I read this is he says, we came to the land to which you sent us. Isn't it interesting that they use this phrase? Because God didn't say, I'm sending you here. God says, I have given this land to you. They still, in their hearts, weren't referring to it as something God had already given them. So there was something that they had sent to us. And as the story goes on, in Numbers 13, 28, 239, we get the, the however. It says, however, the people who dwell there in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the ne- Nejib, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. You see, what was happening here is that Like the Jews that should have been here, the Hebrew people, they they should have been looking at things from the right perspective. But they were looking at the wrong thing. Instead of seeing the promise that God had made to them, they began to see the obstacles in the land as it was already there. And you might call it a matter of perspective, except for in Christianity, your perspective has supernatural repercussions in your life. You see, what happened is they start off with, hey, it's the land which flows with milk and honey, and this is, a, this is a great place, just like you promised. But basically they say, but the people who dwell there are big and they're many. They're, they're nevertheless, they're, they're, their butt is in the wrong place. You know, when Paul would say this stuff, he would list out the bad stuff, and he'd say, but we believe more concerning you. They're, they're, they have it backwards. And we have to choose what, what we let influence us as well. We have to choose Will it be God's promise and his ability to fulfill it that we believe in? Or will it be what the world is trying to say? Is God just said, this is the land that I have given you. It is a land of milk and honey, just like I promised you. This is your land. And they said, yeah, God said all that, but look at all the people there. And God may make a promise in your life. And as you begin to go out and take hold of that promise, there's going to be pushback, there's going to be obstacles, and we have to make a choice. Do we believe that or do we believe the word of God? Many people see this with their health and their body. The scripture says that by his stripes we are healed. But as, as they, they begin to believe God for healing, if it doesn't happen instantaneously, they begin to they begin to begin think, man, it's not happening right away. Maybe this is what God wants from me. Or they begin to believe the doctor's reports, to believe all these other things, and their faith goes away from God and goes towards what's been told them. They have to choose what they're going to believe. And let's be real here. These, these, they had a right to be concerned what was going on in the land. I'm not saying that they were being foolish by being worried about these people. It says here the descendants of Anak were there. A uh, Goliath was one of the sons of, of Anak, and he was nine feet nine inches tall. That was a big dude. This is a whole land of big dudes. And they're going in and they have to fight. They're going to have to fight to take this land. They're going to have to step out into what God has called them to do. They had a reason to be afraid. I'm not saying that they didn't. In our own lives, there's going to be reasons to be concerned. But we have to choose. Are we going to let fear rule us? Are we going to let what God said rule us in our lives? And then in Numbers 13, 30-33, it says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome. You know, that had nothing to do with their own strength. Had they gone out in their own strength, they would have failed. They wouldn't have been able to conquer these massive people, these giants. But he says, see, Caleb was looking in the right place. He was looking at God. He said, We are well able to overcome. Because of their own strength? No, but because God was with them. He had just saw what God had done this whole time. He had just freed them from the Egyptian army. He parted seas. I mean, it was an amazing... I mean, they knew that they were able to overcome. He says, we were well able. But then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone to spy out as a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the, the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Did you know that Caleb and Joshua, the two spies that said we should go, they had the same exact information as the other eight spies? They, they didn't have different information. They didn't view out a different part of the land. They had the same information. And they saw the same obstacles. They saw the same opposition. They saw the same giants in the land. But Caleb said, no, let's go take possession. God is with us. God has promised us. Let's go take care of this. But the other eight spies, they said, no, they're too big. We can't do it because they were looking at themselves. They were looking at their own strength. And the truth is, is that we do this today. When God calls us or challenges us to do something, we begin to, to shrink back because we forget that our strength is in him. I'm always humbled when I read the scriptures because I look at these people and there's always that first thought like, man, what are they doing? Why are they acting like this? And there's two things that I have. One, I know the rest of the story. But two, God goes, but you do that too. You do the exact same thing. There's nothing special about you. But the Scriptures are here to teach us so that we can stop doing that and instead put our faith and our trust in Him. They had to choose who they were going to believe. It's an interesting thing here, the way this is worded as well. It says, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. It doesn't say that, that the giants there were, were, were making, calling them grasshoppers. It says that we seemed like grasshoppers. They had already evaluated themselves to be less than what God had called them to be. They they had already decided that there was no way that they could win. And as a result, because they had no confidence, they had no backing of the Lord, they had no nothing, the people of the land could see that in them. It says that we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and that's how they saw us. But I want you to know that if you'll see yourself as victorious in the Lord, if you'll see yourself as strong in the Lord, if you'll see yourself as more than a conqueror in the Lord, then that's how the world's going to see you as well. And that's definitely how the enemy is going to see you as he comes against you. Because when we stand against him, he has to flee. Amen? We're also going to see that growth was a requirement for the Hebrew people, and it's no different for us today. In Joshua 13, 12 through 17, it says... <clears throat> am I in the right place? Nope, sorry. I was in the right place. Why are you guys confusing me? Numbers 13, 12 through 17, it says from the... That's why I put the wrong one up there. You're going to have to listen to me. Sorry. <laughs> Joshua 13:12 through 17. It says, Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above, shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come, as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water... Now the Jordan overflows of all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down from the sea of, uh, of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. And now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground, until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, but this is once again, God parts the waters for them to cross, and now he's talking about the the Jordan River, parts of Jordan River, and not only this, it was in flood right now, because it was time of harvest, it was in flood, this wasn't a little river. Now, in Arizona, this is hard for us to get our heads wrapped around, because they say that you're a true Arizonian if you no longer associate rivers with water. But in other places, rivers have water, and they flow and they're, they're massive, massive rivers. And they had just left the Red Sea. And, and, and uh, God says, you know what, I'm going to part the Red Sea. So he parts the Red Sea first, and then they walk through the Red Sea. And that was an amazing thing that had just happened. The sea had parted. They walked through. But what happened was is the, the sea was parted first. But now they're back up against a flooded river that is flowing wildly, because I don't know if you've ever seen a river that is flooded. You might have seen a little bit in the monsoons here when the stuff gets flooded, how hard it flows and all these things. So they got this massive river that they have to cross, and God says, I'm going to part it for you, but you have to step in first. See, first, God did it for them, and now God says, I want you to exercise a little bit more faith. I want you to grow in this area. I want you to step into the water first. And like I said last week, we look at this, and in the picture in my head always first was, you know, this lone priest coming up, and he's going to step in, and all of a sudden the water parts, and he's good to go. He's got a little pathway. You know, they're going to make their way through a single file. But the truth is there was 2 million Hebrew people standing on the other side of that river. Now, I remember... When I was in the army, we would have to get up and march. We'd be in formation, and especially if we had a whole, whole company in line. When we'd start marching, we'd all start together. And we began to walk. But when it was time to stop, especially as you're learning, you're not good at marching, and you're not uh, great at you see this accordion effect. And you can actually see this if you watch even traffic, if you watch the the news camera traffic. There's always an accordion effect. Traffic will go, it will begin going, but when it stops, it's very hard for traffic to get stopped again. It doesn't happen all at once. So can you imagine these priests, and they have two million people behind them, and they're like, all right, let's move out. We're going to trust God. And they begin going in there. If he hit the water and the water keeps getting higher, and if, if the water hadn't moved, hadn't been parted by God, these men were drowning because it hadn't been parted before they stepped in. And you can't stop two million people from moving on a dime. They had to exercise great faith at this point to step into this water. They had to grow. They weren't expected to stay where they were. Planning a church is kind of like this in a lot of ways. You know, we started out in our home, and, and while it wasn't without its own challenges, it was quite a bit easier. It took a lot less faith to do that than what we did here. And what I mean by that is because when I opened my doors, if nobody ever showed up, at some point I could just close my doors and there was, nothing would have happened to me. I mean, I, had, I already was paying my mortgage. I didn't rely on the church for that. Everything was being paid. There was no bills. There was nothing. So there was an amount of faith to step out and say, we're going to plant a church, but there was really no real consequence if it didn't happen. Kind of like when they stood at the Red Sea. They were waiting for, for the, the oceans to part, but if, if it didn't, it's not like they were already in the water drowning. But then when we moved into this building, there was a a greater requirement of faith. Because although we we practiced some wisdom, we had saved up some money, when we moved into this place, the rent is more than we bring in. Now, you're thinking, well, that's kind of crazy. And it is. I'm trusting God to provide, to make sure that we're taken care of. I'm trusting God. And the crazy part is, is my name is the guarantee on like a $360,000 lease. If God doesn't provide, I'm going bankrupt. But that requires faith, and I'm going to trust God. And before, it, everything was already there. But when, I ste- when we stepped into this building, the money wasn't there yet. If real, be real honest, we skate right on <laughs> there with it. And, uh, but it's, we're trusting God. And if you, if you guys that were here when we first opened this door, there definitely weren't as many people in this room as there are right now. God has been faithful. We stepped out when it seemed like it would have been crazy. It seemed like it doesn't make any sense. My wife and I, we put everything on the line. Because they would have taken everything from us. had we not. If we couldn't come through with this and they, they wanted to sue us or whatnot, we're putting everything on the line. But God is faithful. And the reality is, is this isn't the first time that we're going to have to step out like this. And it's not, not going to be the last time. Because we're getting ready to start into a couple new ministries here. One, we have our youth group we just launched not too long ago, and we're stepping out in faith, believing God that's going to bless it and grow it. We're looking at starting a prison ministry with Joseph and, and Hugo and George as they go step out into that area. We don't have any doors open now. We're stepping out in faith and we're gonna, that God will open doors for us. And we just had three families come up and say, you know what, we've been called by God. We want to be sent out at some point to be planted as churches. That requires Faith. In Hebrews five twelve through 14, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the, world of right, in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Just like the Hebrew people, we're expected to grow as well. You know, when babies are born, they can't digest solid food. And early introduction to solid food has been linked to obesity, diabetes, eczema, celiac disease. If you give a baby who's not ready for it these foods, it actually causes problems in their life. They can't chew a steak without teeth, which is probably the worst part about being a baby. And... I'll be honest, when I, when, I, when I speak to new believers, what I tell them, the first thing that you should read is the book of John to the book of Jude. Read that ten times before you read anything else. Get started with the basics. Get started with what Christ has done for us. Because if you read the Old Testament... Without light of the New Testament, it takes on a whole different picture. And that's why people are so confused, and that's why people attribute um, uh, poor attributes to God. That's why Oh, he's just a guy who kills people and does all these things, because they don't see the rest of the story. They don't see the rest of the picture. And if you read that stuff without, without being in light of the New Testament, it, it'll skew your image of God. And Paul is dealing with people here that should have moved on towards maturity, but instead they were slipping backwards and acting like babies. He expected them to grow up. You know, when, when, when kids are little, you expect them to act like kids, but at some point you expect them to grow up. At some point you expect them to move out of the house to start providing for themselves. You know, when they're little and they want something, they can just begin to cry. But if, if, if my, my oldest daughter begins to do that... We're going to have a problem. That's something that we need to deal with. Amen. Amen? By now, these people should have been teaching others, but instead, they needed to be continued to be taught. We're required to grow as Christians. If you are in the same place that you were 20 years ago, you need to reevaluate where you are on your walk. And I can say this with immunity because that's what happened to me. I got saved when I was really young. I remember saying the Lord's Prayer when I was seven years old. I found an old New Gideon's Bible, and I couldn't understand it because it was in, in King James English. And, but I, I read the little prayer at the back, and I, I, I didn't understand it fully, but I knew this is something that I wanted. And over the next 20 years, I began to flirt with God and ask Him, and I would get saved and backslide. And, and for 20 years, I just stood on the start line. 20 years since the first time I'd asked the Lord in my heart, and I hadn't done anything for Him. But God expects us to grow. He expects us to keep moving forward. Some of us will grow faster than others. But the only thing that matters is that you're moving forward. That you're growing in some way. Amen? The next thing that we're going to look at is how God directed the steps or how God provided for the Hebrew people. In Nehemiah nine twenty through 21 it says, You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. You know, even in all their stubbornness, even in all their grumbling, even in all their complaining, God still provided for them the whole way. He always took care of them. He never left them. He never forsook them, even when they were acting a fool. And I thank God for that because there's plenty of times I've acted a fool. There's plenty of times God had every right to walk away, but he always stayed there with me. And this is is an amazing story if you read what happened because they messed up big time. God said, I've given you this land. And they said, nope, we don't believe you, God. And God's like, all right, you don't believe me? You're going to spend 40 years wandering before you actually get to make it in there and they were forced to wander for their disbelief, but God still provided for them, and they received manna from heaven. This is an amazing thing because it was, it was like coriander seed. that came out of heaven, and it tasted like honey. And it, they basically got cake for the rest, for 40 years, every morning for breakfast. I bet it tasted great. If God made it, it had to have been good. And God provided for them. They never wanted for food. Nobody got malnutrition. Nobody, they were always taken care of. And then eventually, when they complained enough, God sent them quails for meat. So now they had meat. They had everything coming for them. And then it says their clothes and shoes never wore out for 40 years. Clothes never... I mean, we have people today working on that at the detergent companies trying to find ways that your color won't fade and your stuff won't wear out. If they would just put some trust in God, they could have an amazing product. Clothes never wore... For 40 years, it never wore out. And then it says their, their shoes never wore out. Now... People grow in 40 years. They had kids because those were the only ones that made it into the promised land were the ones that were kids when, when the disbelief happened. So that means that, that they continued to grow. And not only did their clothes and shoes not wear out, but they must have grown with them. Man, I've had three kids, and I, I was praying for clothes to grow with them. I mean, every time I turned around, kids are in high waters. And clothes are expensive. But they grew with him. They, God provided for them in ways that we can't even imagine because they, they trusted him. But the point is, is that God, God gave everything, provided everything for them. And this is, when we look at this story, this is the, the attitude that we need to have in our lives. This is what we should be looking at. We should be looking for God to provide for us because the, the scripture says God is not a respecter of persons. God doesn't love them more than he loves you or I and God will provide for us just the same. In Matthew 6, 25-33, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can at a single hour... To the span of life, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field; how they grow—they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear?" For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Not only is God going to take care of us, but God instructs us not to be anxious about it, not to worry about it. And I know that's easier said than done sometimes, because sometimes we have a whole lot more month than we have money. But God provides the entire way if we honor him. The scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? He's talking about food. He's talking about clothing. He's talking about provision and shelter. You will be taken care of if you will trust God. And the reality is is that we are valuable to God. And I think this is something that we need to, to, to get in our heads to grab a hold of, to have a revelation that we are valuable to God. Because I think sometimes we begin to tell ourselves that, that we can't be valuable. Look at the stuff that we've done. How could God still love us? How could we be valuable? God knew everything about you, and he still sent his son to die for you. Because you were infinitely valuable for him. That's how you can determine what something is worth is what someone is willing to pay for it. It's actually how the whole home market works. It's what are people, that's how they determine the price of your home when they evaluate it, is they see what you have in it and then they check what people are buying similar prices for right now, similar houses for. What are they paying for it? And that's how they determine the worth of your home. So your worth is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. And God sent his son for you. He paid his son. He gave his very own life for you. You are valuable. Psalms 37, 25 through 26, David said this, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, for his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. If you will honor God and put him first, you are going to be taken care of. You're going to be provided for. And you don't have to worry. And the truth is, anxiety, worrying, that will kill you faster than anything. But if you put your trust in him, he will provide for you. Just like he provided for the Hebrew people. We also see that he directed their steps. In Exodus thirteen seventeen through 22, it says, It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land for the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with them, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry out my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham and the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, and they might travel by day and by night." This is interesting because, one, it says that God led them in a roundabout way to get them to the promised land because he said they weren't ready for war yet. He said he didn't want them to be, to be scared. I mean, they were already grumbling about not having food and all this stuff. They already wanted to go back. God recognized this, so he sent them a different way. Now, we might say, God, I'm looking at a map. It would have been way faster if you would have just took them this way. You see, God's going to answer his promises. God is going to to watch over his word. It's going to come to pass, but it may not always come to pass the way that we want it to come to pass. I'll tell you one thing that that all new, as I begin to, to speak with pastors that are planting churches, one thing all new pastors have in the back of their heads is that there's going to be different because we all know that when you open the doors, it's going to take a while. It's going to take some time to grow. It's going to take, but in the back of our heads, we all think, Mine's, mine's going to be different. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to have to beat them off with a stick. I mean, there's, there's, we're, just going to have, we're not going to have enough room. And then you open the door, and it's just like everybody said it would be. And you're like, but God, you called me, God, you called me to plan a church, and let me tell you how I would have done it. If I was doing this, if this was my plan, I would have went ahead and opened the door, and this place would have been full, then we'd be doing amazing things. But the reality is, is God is a little bit smarter than I am, and he knew that if he would have sent all those, if we would have had this many people at once when we first came in the door, we would have collapsed under our own weight. We weren't ready for that. And God's plan is always for our betterment, even though it's not the same way that we would have done it. It's always his plan. And he needs to direct our steps. And then it says that he led them. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire. They saw God. And when this, what happened was is when this, this cloud lifted up and moved on, the Israelites, they packed up and they moved on. You can read about that in Exodus 40. It says when the, the cloud settled, they settled. When the cloud, cloud left, they packed up and they followed the cloud. And we saw that God guided the Israelites, the uh, Israelites, uh, through the wilderness, and they followed him. He directed their steps. And the Lord is, is still directing us today, and we need to make sure that we're actually following the cloud as well. I don't know if you know this, but most denominations are the result of people moving with the cloud, and then it settles in a new place. A new denomination is born, and then the cloud gets up and moves on. God starts going a different direction, but everybody just stays where they were. And that, I mean, the Protestant church was, was created by Martin Luther when he penned his letter to the door of the Catholic church. And basically, it was, it was uh, positions against what he saw was abusive practices by preachers selling plenary indulge, indulgence, which were certificates basically that said, if you, if you buy these things, it'll help get your loved one out of purgatory. And, and Martin Luther got a revelation from God and said, no, this isn't right. And he stood against it, and the Protestant church was born. And then later on we see different denominations come as a rule because the Baptist uh, denomination was the same thing. They had a revelation that, wait a minute, baptism was for professing believers. You had to, to believe to be baptized. And they began to stand against infant baptism because uh, an infant can't believe. An infant can't be saved because they can't profess, they can't believe with their heart. They say, no, they can't get baptized because they haven't believed yet. So that's how the Baptist denomination was born. But then God moved on after that, and we see the, the Pentecostal movement come on. The cloud moves, but people stuck where they were instead of continuing to move with God. And it's so easy to happen that way. The Pentecostal movement was the same thing, that there was a, there was a subsequent event with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is where the Pentecostal movement was, was birthed, But as God moves on, are we going to be stuck in those ways? Are we going to be stuck in those traditions? Are we going to move with God and see what He's doing? I think as a church, that's going to be one of our greatest challenges to see what God's doing and move with Him and not get stuck in tradition and rituals. Amen? We need to be sensitive to what He's doing because the truth is is that God guides our steps as well. In Psalms 37.23 it says the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. And Proverbs 69 says the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God has a plan and purpose for each and every one of you in this room. And the question is, will we listen to his guiding, his leading, or are we going to do things our way? What's going to be our theme song? I did it my way or I did it his way? The Lord will direct our steps if we will keep our eyes on him. And we will go where he wants us to go. And the truth is, is that anything that you do that doesn't have God behind you is just, uh, it's worthless. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's just going to be, it's just chaff. It's just burned up. But the truth is, is if we're doing what, God is doing what God has called us to do, if we're going where he's called us to go, then we're going to have lasting riches because people are going to be getting saved. People are going to come to know him. There's going to be a time when the, when the world is, is burned up and it's done away with, and what's going to still be there? And we have to ask ourselves, is God going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or is he going to say, well, done? It's going to, do we have anything to show for it? Did anybody get touched? Were people brought to him? And if we let him direct our steps, he will take us where he wants us to go. Amen. And we'll finish here today. In 2 Timothy 1, 8-12, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You know, we've looked at the Hebrew people, and what they did as they journeyed out of Egypt into the Promised Land, and we looked at, we were able to, to learn a few things, learn some things that we should do, learn some things that we shouldn't do. But either way, we can, we can get instruction for that. But the reality is, is just like the Hebrew people, as we live our lives, tough times may come, obstacles may come, and we just need to know in whom we trust to get us through those things. God is going to provide for us like he did for him. God is going to support us like he did for them, and God will strengthen us like he did for them because he is faithful. He is a faithful God, and he is with us. But we need to be a people who are convinced Just like Paul, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me because I know in whom I have believed. We need to be a people who know who we have believed and who we can trust and be convinced that he is with us the entire way. Amen? Amen. Let's stand our feet.